Ever wondered if that friend of yours investing in bitcoins is playing make-believe money? This is stupid! Or sitting on a potential million dollars? That makes you the richest man in the world. It's time you found out. Welcome to Crypto Nights, where we help you finally make sense of the trending world of cryptocurrencies. So gather your virtual piggy bank and let's get started. Welcome to the next episode of Crypto Nights, where the best minds bridge the crypto divide. I am your host, Kant Miriala. We are very excited to present today's guest, Jill Richmond, who is a co-founder of ARC ICO Advisors. Jill is a strategy consultant and a thought leader on emerging technology, working with new leaders in some of the most advanced technologies coming to the market. Among them, blockchain, artificial intelligence, and digital platforms. Our views on technology and innovation have been featured in the Washington Post, Venture Beat, the New York Times, BBC, Modern Luxury, BTC Media, Forbes, and Spectator. You can see that we have somebody who is an absolute expert in the space. We're very excited about this podcast. Let me talk a little bit about where Jill actually currently works as a partner. Arc ICO Advisors is an advisory and consulting company that is co-led by Richard Titus, Jill Richmond, and Marissa Kim. They are helping entrepreneurs who want to raise money go through the entire process of the ICO end-to-end so they can raise money and bring brilliant tech ideas to life. Check their website out. It's www.arc-ico.com. www.arc-ico.com. And my usual disclaimer, this whole episode is purely for informational and educational purposes. It's not a solicitation or endorsement of any investment opportunities we might be discussing or any token sales because we are not registered financial advisors. If you invest based on this information, you do so at your own risk. (laughs) We strongly encourage you to conduct your own research, understand the risks of investing in ICOs or tokens or any other investment opportunities in this space. Hi, Jill. How are you? Hi, Khan. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Welcome to the Crypto Night Show. We are very, very excited and happy to have you here. Why don't we start off by you giving us a short intro to yourself? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so my name is Jill Richmond. I am uh, a partner at a company called Arc Advisors. Uh, Arc Advisors essentially is uh, an ICO advise- advisory service. We provide kind of full service support for all of the uh, blockchain-based companies, companies that are considering going through an ICO. Um, our reasonably early stage, uh, we ha- we do represent some some mature companies who are considering an ICO. Uh, we we have a team of securities lawyers, seasoned advisors working on some of the most interesting uh, crypto projects, and uh, marketing, PR, uh, and and tech and support to, to provide real kind of both retail and investor relations strategies to, to all of the companies that we work with. Oh, wow. Jill, thank you. That is exciting. The reason I say that is... You know, when you look at the world at large, there are just a small percentage of people that are still into Bitcoins and the crypto world. And within that, there are even smaller number of people that understand Bitcoins and tokens. And you are not only in that small elite group, but you're actually advising companies on probably end to end on how to do an ICO, et cetera, et cetera. Is that kind of correct? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. And I've seen, I mean, I've seen the numbers shift radically anywhere between three and 10 million. And and I think it's more on the 10 million side, but we're talking like a teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny uh, number of sort of crypto holders or crypto people who have crypto wallets who who own crypto. Yes, that's absolutely the case. Yeah. So if we look at the traditional S curve adoption, we are still in the super early stage of this whole crypto growth. Yeah, we, we, I think we're we're in the very, very, very beginning. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Great. Why don't we start off by a couple of uh, interesting stories that you might want to share with our audience? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, everyone sort of has their inception story, how they ended up, you know, really being interested or intrigued uh, or pulled into the world of, both blockchain technology and crypto. Um, I think everyone comes at it from very different perspectives, mathematicians, technologists, economists. uh, um, 
you know, monetary policy enthusiasts. Um, I, I, have a, I have an economics background. I worked at the World Bank for a number of years uh, and was worked with the innovation practice at the World Bank. Um, for me, I, I've always been intrigued by, um, you know, cryptocurrency uh, because I've always been interested in, in ways in, in making the unbanked bankable. Um, and I still don't think we've actually solved that problem yet, but, but interested in, you know, uh, the idea of cryptocurrency, not necessarily from a United States perspective, but from a very different perspective where there's very unstable environments. Um, I was pulled into a project in November of last year, um, uh, it was a company called Singular DTV. They were a spoke project of consensus. And I worked with their marketing team just as they had finished raising $12.5 million through their own token sale. Um, and that was really the first, that was the on board for me. I mean, I was really kind of sitting on the outside saying like, God, what, what is this? This is really interesting. This is a brilliant company. I, I, you know, I was very intrigued by what they were looking to do in the entertainment space. Um, and so I, I ended up going and consulting with them. And I mean, I think this is, this, this is a, the great anecdote, right? Which is, you know, very early on, and this isn't that long ago, right? Uh, very early on, they basically said, look, it's our ethos to pay you an ether. Um, you know, will you accept Ether? And uh, they took me through the process of setting up my wallet and, and going through all of the details that I needed to go through. And I very quickly said to them, well, I want to convert to, to fiat very quickly. You know, I, I'm not going to hold Ether. I'm, I want to convert to fiat. And they made it very possible for me to do that. That's fine. But I, re I think when you think about all of the stories that you have, this is probably one of my core re regrets that I, I converted everything to fiat. And I, I had a lot of friends who were like, don't, convert everything. I converted everything to fiat right around the time when Ether was $13. So, Ouch. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so there you go. <laughs> so that was my first, <laughs> everyone has their, their regret moments. Um, that was my first regret. Thank you for sharing that, Jill. Uh, we all have those. I'm sure I have mine. <clears throat> it's uh, it, you know, hindsight, right? It's always yeah. 2020. Yeah. And we look back and say, oh, it was 13. And that was just a couple of days back. It was $320 or whatever. So we all have those uh, stories. Uh, and uh, I'm an optimist. And I think the best is ahead of us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So great. Can we move on? I think you have a lot to share. I think you have a lot, not just uh, stories, but you have just developed yourself so quickly and so rapidly. If I could ask, when was this singular DTV engagement of yours? So put a, put yeah, a November 2016. November 2016. Now you're talking about just, I mean, nine, 10 months ago. That's right. And uh, that's how new this whole field is. Jill, do you find that? that I mean, literally, you are a veteran in this field. Um. I would never, I would never want to call myself a veteran. I think I'm grateful that we have a team that I, that I work with a really, really uh, solid team of what I would call veterans. Um, I myself am probably the most new to, to the world of crypto. And, but more than that, I mean, I think I've been extremely interested from the perspective of particularly companies that do ICOs or decide to go through a token sale, what this means in terms of the, the ethos of what this actually means in terms of leveling, leveling up. And I can talk about that in a little bit, um, you know, allowing companies to get funded in ways that they probably wouldn't be able to before, not because they were not, they didn't have the techno technological um, credibility or, or something or the ability to build something that was absolutely shippable, but more importantly, that they would, they'd have a harder time getting funding from the traditional VCs. And so I'm really excited about what, what this means in terms of the possibility of, of leveling up on the individual side. But, in, but, but moving back, I mean, I think you said that I'm a, I've become a veteran and, and how crazy that is that in nine months, someone would be seen as a veteran. Yeah, it is crazy. 
I, I think it's crazy and I'm, I'm not comfortable calling myself a veteran. <laughs> so no, I do understand that. Yeah. That's, not, that's not what I meant, but you, yeah. you are essentially being seen by a lot of us as an expert and, uh, and in for the right reasons as well. Uh, but let's go to that interesting point that you made. Why do you see this whole ICOs as a level playing field? Can you give us some examples uh, that support your view about companies? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I hate I hate to overemphasize this. You know, I happen to write for Forbes. I write for Forbes Women. Um, you know, my my byline or my swim lane is really sort of telling innovative stories from the Valley about women, right? Shocking and innovative stories from the Valley about women. And um, if I were to be honest. You know, you're starting just slowly starting to see a, n- a number of women at the forefront of some of these large, large ICOs. I mean, you can name Galia over at Bancor, uh, Tezos, uh, a woman, uh, a woman named Crystal Rose over at Sensei and Sense. You know, a I would say Sensei in particular. They've they've raised venture rounds before. This is not an issue. But I'm starting to. I st- you're starting to see the possibility that by going through a full retail, and for the most part, you know, you're talking about syndicates, um, retail, and yes, crypto whales, of course, but you're seeing syndicates in much larger numbers of individuals participating because that's the nature of what the sale is in a sale and the ability for them to raise money in ways they may not have before. And I find that absolutely intriguing and I'm really looking forward to seeing more from that trend. Those are sort of the projects that I like to, to be honest, I like to gravitate towards, not because they're, they're in fact women, but because um, I think that they're, they're potentially hugely disruptive um, and also are able to find themselves raising money in ways that they, they would, would be really impossible. I totally agree with you. And I, I myself used to uh, do a spot of angel investment a few years ago. And uh, so uh, at that time, people would think I was crazy to be living in, I used to live in Chicago. Now I live in Dallas. At that time, people would think I was crazy to be living in Chicago and doing most of my angel investments in, in Silicon Valley, because pretty much 90%, I don't know what the number is, a majority of the startups were happening in Silicon Valley. One of the primary reasons is, I mean, entrepreneurs need capital to grow their ideas. And that was the entire ecosystem of talent, people, money. It it was such an ideal environment, right? Mm -hmm. to make things happen. So when I look back, you know, but it's such an inside baseball environment. It really is. It's such an inside baseball environment. Exactly. So you see this as a positive trend. I do. It's one of the trends that I I'm, I'm excited about. Absolutely. Yeah. Because now when I look at token sales or ICOs, it's not surprising to see multiple languages on that website, which you never would see in a tech web startup, right? So you go there and you see Chinese or you see Korean or you see English. No. And in fact, that's what, you know, in all the projects that I work on, we have to structure all of this time to make sure everything goes through translation (laughs) in at least three languages. Wow. So can you give us maybe a story or two of how somebody that you feel might have had a hard time before actually ended up not just raising, but spectacularly well today? Yeah. I mean, an anecdote of someone who I think would have a hard time. I don't think in previous environments, um, although Sensei has raised... to her credit, um, and this sale is not complete, although I think it will be successful. To her credit, the company has raised six million previously in other uh, in, in other venture rounds. Um, I don't think, and this company has a you know has a hard cap of about thirty million on this sale. Uh, I think in another environment, Sensei and what Sensei is doing is is incredible to the developer community in terms of providing the real messaging, you know, and AI data to really help them build um, incredible products. But but I don't think that they'd be able to to raise the kind of money that they are raising over the next month in another environment. It's possible but I think it would be really, really hard. 
you know, a female founder, she has her own credibility, but, but it's, it's a small example. I mean, I can think of other anecdotes of companies that I've seen that I don't necessarily want to mention, um, that might be the flip, the flip story, right? Companies that I think, and I don't, I don't necessarily want to tell that story because I think we, we know that there are, there are enough, there's enough companies out there that, that often I think we're, we're scratching our heads and saying like, how on earth did they raise that, and that kind is of a, money? That is the flip side. Like you said, you know, when you're allowing everybody, it's democratized and anybody can raise money. There will also be many that probably do not deserve to raise money that do end up. There's raising. a lot of shoddy projects out there. Absolutely. And it's, it's a, it's a, you know, anyway. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a part of the game. I mean, you can't help it. Once you open it up for everybody, you can, you get all of them. Right. So then we need filters. So that's why you're right. I've been many times scratching my head when I see some of these companies and I, I read what they have in their white, so-called white paper. I'm scratching my head and saying, this would not have raised half a million dollars in angel investment in Silicon Valley just a couple of years ago. And today they have raised what? Six or 10 million. It's like they raised their angel investment and the series A and B and C all together in one shot without yeah. even having any programming done, anything built, nothing. They're talking about zero, not even an MVP. So yeah. So it's staggering sometimes. It is staggering. And you know what it's like to go and raise money and, and the and what you have to go through to really show growth, uh, you know, particularly in a series A and the kinds of numbers that you need to hit and sustain. Uh, that would never hit the sniff test today to some extent, right? At least the promise of that hasn't been reached. Totally, totally. Yeah. But that's the flip side of the story. I mean, I think I'm, I'm really interested in, in some of the anecdotes of women, of, um, of individuals in other, in other countries that wouldn't otherwise have the access to the kind of venture funding uh, that they suddenly now do, because what you're talking about is almost a Kickstarter on steroids. You know, you, you, the access to capital uh, and the leveling of that and the ability for individuals who, who really have fantastic ideas and, and incredible sort of projects uh, to raise money is what I'm really excited to see, that they would never have access to that capital before. So you are talking about leveling of the playing field in along multiple dimensions, Jill, and I'm really liking that. One we talked about is a geographic dimension, but the other thing is not just male co-founders or founders raising money, but female founders and co-founders having an equal playing field to raise money. Yeah, and I'm also talking about the actual companies that I'm working with, so that some of the companies that I'm working with are creating products that are, in many ways, maintaining the promise of sort of leveling the playing field, right? I mean, again, I'm pointing to Sensei in particular, you know, it's a messaging application, you know, people are essentially rewarded for providing knowledge and support and tips through messaging applications, and, you know, they already have, uh, you know, 20 million coins in circulation, uh, they have 3 million users. Once their cell goes live, those users are going to be rewarded in sense. And so suddenly you and I could speak from completely different locations. I could be, you know, it could be the new summer job, right? It's, it's the idea of creating kind of the new gig economy, you know, maybe it's gig economy 3.0, but the idea that that's what some of these projects and products are able to do. So now you're talking about multiple levels of uh, leveling the leveling up, correct? So not only talking about leveling the playing field as far as raising money goes, but because of the inherent technology. The because the in inherent technology and the network effects within the inherent technology, and a lot of those products are built to to essentially create value for individuals, right? Who who, who didn't actually have access to that value before. So. Yeah. So inherent technology, the network effects, and I want to revisit that in just a minute. So the network effect you're talking about is quite interesting. So we are talking about this, for example, the sensei idea where people get rewarded for their knowledge and tips. Not only do they have so many coins in circulation, but because they have gone after the retail investors, so to speak, they have millions of users and maybe some of them are also investors in their token. So there is this interesting effect that's right of both the people that are 
going to be the drivers of the technology later on in some sense are also people that are investors in it and are kind of benefiting from that because uh, a typical token sale can has an unlimited number of investors, right? That's right. So right. can you talk about that with respect to the, can you give me some insights into the network effect vis-a-vis uh, -vis the commonality? So they're not only just getting investors, but they're probably getting a base of potential users, maybe the initial set of users. And that's the whole point in, in many ways. I mean, I, I think that's one of the major reasons why someone actually decides to do a token sale, right? The network effect is so 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 core to the value proposition that you need to incentivize your users and your users are in fact sometimes your investors and your investors are also, you know, uh, the beneficiaries. And so it's this entire ecosystem that's based on, you know, what's what's inherently being built, that growth is sustained by by all of those players at the table. Um, and, and, and so often when you sort of ask someone, you know, why, at the, just the, the principle of like, why are you doing a token sale exactly? And have you thought about what those network effects really look like? That's kind of the core, the core question that I sort of ask. I mean, it sounds really, it's, it sounds really, it sounds like a silly question to ask, but it's really one of the core questions I ask some of the companies I start working with, which is like, have you really thought through the, the economics of the, the token and how you're incentivizing individuals and how you're incentivizing, you know, retail investors and what growth really looks like um, and, and, and why other than it's a really, really fast way to raise money. Wow. And, and you do see both when you just go and visit some of these websites that have token sales that are going on there's an entire spread. Some of them have really thought through and designed their entire token and their technology properly for the lack of yeah. a better word. And others seem to be primarily interested in selling the tokens to make the money and then... Right. But, there, but there's really four people, right? You've got your underwriters, your investors, your traders, and your buyers, and your buyers and users of your future system. Those are Can the you four... Slow down and repeat that one more time, Jill. Sorry. No, sure. You've got your underwriters, you've got your investors... And then you have your traders and then you have your natural buyers and users of the future system. You know, that's really the audience of, of token buyers. Oh, wow. That's I've never seen it being split that way. Can you kind of define each one of these uh, just so I, I get a feel for them? Sure. So you have your kind of pre-sell, your under the underwriters who are supporting uh, the underwriting of the you know the expenses of of running through the actual sale. Um, you you have uh, sort of larger investment pools within a pre-sale or or syndicates or or investor or individual sort of uh, retail investors right through through the sale and then. You have uh, you have traders, you know, on the, the secondary markets, and then you have the natural buyers who are using using the token, and the token has absolute utility for them. For instance, you know, the, the rudimentary example, of course, is you know I am utilizing the Sensei network because I'm looking for advice on again very rudimentary. I'm looking for advice in terms of where to travel to in Greece, and I get routed to you, Comp, and and you say, oh, this is exactly where I I recommend that you go. Um, I've been there. This is this is I've been to this incredible place with my with my wife and my children, and we have a great exchange. And then I send you sense coins as a thank you and a tip for the advice that you gave. And I needed those sense coins to to be a participant on the network. Oh, that is very exciting. So, so when I look at these investors, I'm I'm looking for my ICO or a or a startup from the company angle what would be most beneficial? Because sometimes I hear stories like, oh, we are having this token pre-sale. Oops, sorry, we got sold out in the token pre-sale itself uh, because these large syndicates or institutional investors came in and pretty much maxed it out. So we do hear those stories. Now I'm thinking, but a company like Sensei would be potentially pretty unhappy if one or two investors, you know, bought into their entire token sale and not that that would happen or that happened, but I'm just theorizing here that, so sometimes when a company like Sensei has carefully designed their business, their technology, 
to be very aligned with the interests of both these investors and the natural buyers and users. That's right. Uh, they it would be in their best interest if more people bought into the token sale. Am 100%, I one hundred percent? That's one hundred percent correct. How do they? Is there some way to ensure that, uh, or or is it is is that difficult to figure out? No, I think it's it's pre-designed that way, right? So the pre-sale is, and that whole process is is ultimately pre-designed to ensure that. Um, they're maximizing the contribution pool and they're getting the buy-in from the developer community as well, which is so important, right? So that their investors are potentially also the developer community. Um, and, and so I, w- I don't want to necessarily speak on behalf of, uh, of Sensei's design because it's, it's not my place to do that, yeah. but but the recommendations that, that we give or the recommendations that people I have worked with have taken have, have very purposefully not sold out to an entire, you know, two or three crypto whales. Um, by design, they made sure that there were enough individuals, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 individuals participating in the entire pre-sale and sale process. Is that what the typical number is? Is there, is there any, I don't even know if there's- I don't think number. that's the typical. <laughs> I would never say that's the typical, but um, I mean, and again, that's still on the smaller side of some of these sales, right? We're talking- some of them, so that's 10 million to 33 million. Obviously, we've seen much, much larger sales. Um, but by design, right, the, the, the recommendations or the recommendations that I give or that I work with, the people who do give, is really that you want to maximize your distribution. You want to maximize the buyers, the retail buyers and investors in the actual pre-sale process and the sort of the sale process. Makes a lot of sense. Wow. So, yeah, I can see the level leveling of the playing field from several of these dimensions, investors, natural buyers, users, culturally, language-based, geographic, the gender parity, male, female, leading the company. What, what are the benefits of this uh, leveling of the play, playing field besides the obvious that now potentially anyone can raise money. What, what does this mean? Uh, what, what are the implications you see? For companies or for the, the, the state of crypto or for, I mean, I think... I, w- I want us to divide this into the, the company and, and then the, the ecosystem, the people that are involved with it, such as investors and users, because it has implications to both, I'm imagining. Mm. So I think for the company, they're, they're fairly obvious, right? They... Um, what they're building requires certainly if you know a network effect so so they have to think broad in terms of how they're running through a sale and um, and what that looks like and they're running a global campaign right if they're going through the sale process it forces them it forces their hand to have global potential global participation I'm notwithstanding companies that are really working with the security so I, I don't even want to cover that but the global participation within a sale. And and so to the extent that actually it enhances the value of what they're building because the network effect is there and the, it's it's part and parcel of, of all of the above, you know, it, le- it levels the playing field for, for them and their ability to raise money. It levels the playing field in terms of the individual investors themselves who wouldn't wouldn't necessarily participate in some of the really interesting early stage. I mean, we, we all would have wanted to participate in, uh, in Google when we could, right? I mean, the idea of participating in, in a future real massive infrastructure of a project is fantastic. Right. Um, and I think that's really exciting. And I think in terms of utility, you know, the idea of being able to, you know, again, I'll go back to Sensei in particular, the idea of being able to create uh, sort of passive income opportunities for things. So, so the notion of 
I don't necessarily have to drive for Uber, but I can certainly create, you know, I can certainly give someone advice about where to travel in Greece. And I can certainly give advice about where someone needs to buy, uh, set up or how to set up their wallet, uh, you know, or, or crypto advice. And I can monetize that uh, because that's what some of these platforms and cryptocurrency enables me to do. That's fascinating, right? So there's, there's this, very complex network of leveling up that I think is sort of happening as a result. And that's exciting. Well, there's no doubt about that. At the same time, because we are talking about leveling, I want to be balanced. Yeah. But the challenge that I see, I mean, just like you and I have experienced this, Jill, I, I about a year and a half ago, I had this, someone sit down and explain it to me. And I had this whole epiphany about this crypto world. And I was kicking myself once I got the epiphany. It's like, what the heck was I doing? And the two, I mean, I'm one of those people that has a PhD in theoretical computer science. So I do understand the double spend problem, the Byzantine generals problem and all of these. And I was a bit upset with myself for not having realized this any sooner. You were talking about regrets a bit earlier. My regrets were far more fundamental than yours. Yeah, (laughs) of course. Yeah. So, uh, when I look at that, I still see that, in fact, Crypto Divide is a part of our tagline for Crypto Nights is best minds bridge the crypto divide. Mm. Whether we like it or not, the crypto divide exists, which is kind of an antithesis to this idea of leveling the playing field. The intent yeah. is there, but it is, you and I know that the, the language, the technology is forbidding for an outsider Yes. Including startup yeah. entrepreneurs. So when you look at a startup entrepreneur, uh, an average Joe entrepreneur out there, that person, first of all, may not have heard about this. And second, he might have heard about it, but he hasn't the foggiest notion of where to start. Sure. To start thinking towards an ICO. What is your insight into that? My insight into it, and I'm grateful to see this. So six months ago, I think there were so many individuals that were trying to create best practice that they were doing it on the fly, right? I mean, it was like, you know, um, it was sort of like lean startup methodology, you know, for these sort of ICO sales. Okay, let's these like Rube Goldberg machines of like, okay, let's, all right, let's hire a community management team. Let's, okay, we got to get our lawyer. Okay, we got it. Okay, then this is going to cost us how much money? $300,000? We don't have $300,000, right? Um, that, that's the, that's the, we're not going to raise $300,000 to then raise more money. We don't, can't do that. And so we can't participate more automatically out. Um, you're starting to see two things that are happening, which I think are great. The first of which is, the space is growing up really fast and the materials that are available, the automation that is available, the open source technology, because that's what's out, the open source technology that is available for these companies to go through a full ICO, everything from you know, technology that's becoming available to actually say we can go through a, through a KYC or AML, you know, all of those things are starting to grow up a lot. And I think it's, I think, you know, there are places like Superbloom Capital um, that are actually starting to democratize this process on the flip side and create information and sort of handbooks and material and all of the support that someone would need to go through and tick all of the boxes of a successful ICO having gone through the diligence that they need to, to, to do that. Wow. That's fantastic. So, so I think, I think my, my, my point is that that was a very long way of saying um, the good news is that, that I'm seeing a trend of a lot more information. It still was asymmetrical for a very long time, a lot more packageable support and information that is out there for someone that is considering it and helping them kind of uh, go through all of the process. And I can point right now, it's, it's a silly piece of, uh, of advice, but it was written, it was written by uh, a man named David Siegel. It's called the ICO handbook. Um, 
Um, you can post it if you want to for your for your community. It, he he recorded a webinar um, with Pillars ICO, and actually, I think it's brilliant. You know, he really takes the time to sort of explain all the things that you will get asymmetrically from 500 other people. Um, and so, like I said, I think there's this graduation of support and information about what these processes look like. From the investor perspective, I would also say there is definitely a growing up of information that is now becoming available in terms of what they should be looking at. Um, what are the criteria? You know, you know, the same diligence that you would look at any other investment that kind of information is there. Of course, Smith and Crown do that, but I'm talking about really, really detailed information. So you're starting to see the growing up of all of those resources. And yeah, so you, I, I, we will definitely include these links, uh, both uh, David Siebel, Pillars ICO, and also you mentioned a company called what? Super Bloom Capital. Did I get the name right? Super Bloom Capital. Yeah. How, how do you it's spell been- that? Oh, S-U-P-E-R-B-L-O-O-M-C-A-P. Yeah, capital. So we're going to include the links to uh, both of these uh, in our uh, description of this uh, podcast. But I I wanted to kind of uh, thank you, first of all, Jill. That was really exciting. And for, for somebody like me who's looking at helping in the process of bridging the crypto divide, I'm very happy to see that you see that, hey, that gap was much bigger six months ago and it is getting filled much quite rapidly. Mm-hmm. A whole lot more information, best practices, guides, and checklists are becoming available. I'm very thankful. So if you were, let's say tomorrow you decided, hey, I want to do a token sale, an ICO, what would be... Uh, the first few steps that you would take so that that would help a potential listener that wants to do the same? Well, I mean, I would first want to, you know, I think the first thing, like I said to you is, you know, William Mogiar, and I can also share this link, um, kind of breaks down what the, like the actual token, what is the token? You want to do a token sale what is your token? Um, he breaks it down into kind of three parts. What is the role of the token? What's the purpose of the token? What are the features of the token? How does it work in your system? You know, all of those things are the first few questions I would really want to just like stop and understand. Um, cause it's easy to get sucked into like having all these questions and not knowing where to start before you've actually started to do the team's due diligence around the function of the token, you know, challenge your token, you know, have, uh, you know, have a bunch of people sit down. They may be sort of do, do a proper peer review before you even consider it, right. As you start putting together the framework of your white paper, um, that, that's where I would start. Um, and then I would start to engage with my lawyers. <laughs> um, you know, I would start to engage with my lawyers. I would start to think about the processes of, um, you know, all, all of the, you know, where do you, where is this, where is this company incorporated? You know, uh, what are you thinking about? How do you make sure that it doesn't, you know, it in this, you know, you know, it, is this, is this, does this meet the Howey test? Is this a security? If, if it does, great, move next, move on. Um, so it's really starting with the actual, the actual token. Um, sorry if that's super rudimentary, but that's kind of the first place that I would start before I even started to, to, to look at the, the sale itself. Oh, that is very helpful. So you're saying before you go forward, first think of... Is this appropriate? Do you need a token? And is a token an inherent part? Is that the gasoline that drives the ether, so to speak? Right, exactly. Is it legal? How is it structured? You know, what are your assets? Um, And I'm going to take it even more rudimentary. So let's pretend for a minute. I don't even know that. So I'm a startup that's not in any way in the crypto arena. I am, I don't know. I'm selling satellite TV in India. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, but legitimately this, they should look at this space because this has become the, I think uh, in this year so far, 
the amount of money raised through ICO sales has exceeded the VC funding from what I understand. Yeah, I was going to say, don't go to Google and type in ICOs and, and be, you know, now be, be tracked across, you know, be, be tracked across everywhere else, because then you're going to find your, your Facebook is just like filled with uh, scammy ICO sales. But, um, but sorry. Uh, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I, I hope I'm not the only one that's, I mean, you, you seem to be also, but this is extremely tiring, you know? So now I'm, these days I'm afraid of typing anything into Google. I know. Yeah, I'm like, so, you know what? Don't do that. Let's maybe yeah. ask a friend. Um, so yeah. then, sorry, you were going to say that. We're, we're no, let's no, take it back. Yeah. Ask a friend. That's, I mean, this is who wants to be a millionaire, right? So ask a friend. So uh, where would you start with? That was what I meant when I said you started way ahead. You're already in chapter five when you said start designing your token. What is the purpose? What's the feature? I'm saying, oh, sure. I, I don't know what it, I want to make, I want to raise money. I want, I want to run my business. And somebody told me when I was playing golf that I should look at something called token or ICO. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, and that happens all the time, right? <laughs> Most of the time, actually, I have got yeah. so many calls, yeah. and I, I honestly myself don't know how to answer them. I don't know who to who to send them to. That's why I'm I'm asking if somebody like that. Let's say tomorrow, uh, thanks to your googling, fifteen people started calling you every day and saying, "Oh, I'm selling X Y Z, you know, or I'm planning to start this company, or I have been running this for three years. I raised three hundred thousand dollars last time, and I'm looking at raising three million now. And all my buddies are saying, do a token sale. How do I do that? Where do I go? What do I start? I don't even know how to spell token. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So what, yeah, I think you were going to say, what I'll do is I'll give you a resource list. <laughs> I'll give you a resource list, and you can plop it into your. Um, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, which is just a resource list that I've built over time that I share often. I think probably like everyone else that I have a friend or two that suddenly says, "Oh, you're you're also interested in this space." Like, help. You know what I what I won't do obviously is I really don't give advice to friends. I don't ever do it around uh, where they should put their money, what what altcoins they should put their money into. I just don't. I don't really ever take that on. But um, but in terms of just research uh, and and really trying to wrap their head around um, uh, cryptocurrency, token sales, blockchain. I have a whole resource list that I just send over to them and I drop in their inbox. And then I say, and the next thing is, if you're really interested in, um, if you're really interested in, in investing or kind of like set up a Coinbase account, you know, throw a little bit of money in there, you know, re- read, read a little bit. No one has time to, so this is on the retail investor side. Of course, no one has time to read all these white papers, but there are so many resources that are actually out there and, and, I know that we at ARC are, are working very hard and diligently to get all of those core pieces of education out to both our retail investors and to our friends, <laughs> you know, and so we've basically synthesized a list. So I'll, I'll, I'll drop it in there and then you can share that. Well, that's wonderful. It's a little bit. Yeah. No, no, that's exactly what I was hoping you, this is, thank you on behalf of all our audience as well. Thank you very much. That resource list will be really put to good use. <laughs> yeah, to- totally. I mean, and uh, yeah, it came from just like us into individually doing our own due diligence and saying like, wait a second, we heard someone say this, wait a second, search, research, great article pops it in. And we share that with everybody. So it's, I don't know. You know, what I think is really great is there are also a number of Facebook groups and, uh, you, you know, Bitcoin. I mean, there's, there's so many groups that you can go into. I know one of the things that I think is also great, and I, I hate, I'm going to just plug them again. Um, you know, Sensei has created um, all of these, these bots and routing to, to individuals who are basically supporting the questions that they have. And they have a coin bot, which is able to answer a number of questions that you have. You know, when you ask questions about ICOs and crypto and blockchain, uh, you will get answers. So, so I would also recommend that people download Sensei because it is a source of, of information. And certainly there is so much asymmetrical information. It just gives you a chance to just dip your toe in and ask a few questions. Oh, on the on the contrary, I'm actually happier happier using Sensei as a 
a continuing flowing example i think it's making it super easy for me to understand mm-hmm. and that is so interesting that even though i've been hearing you talk about sensei till now i did not in my mind connect the dots saying oh my god i could use sensei i could ask them questions well imagine it. you went to quora before but now yeah. you can go to sensei why would i as a person who has a question go to sensei rather than quora well a few reasons because the first of which is if it will find you a person who can actually answer the question for you and you can have a back and forth conversation rather than kind of what would often is just like one question posed one a call and response right it allows you to sort of find or identify an individual who might be able to answer that or there are bots that are that are able to answer those questions for you until they can't and then they will route you to an individual who can. Oh, that's a brilliant design. At least it looks to me to be brilliant. I have not used it. I would I'll probably look forward to using it. So that is another great idea. I think we should include a, a link to Sensei as well in our resources. Uh, yeah, they're they're token absolutely. And their token sale is um is scheduled for September 27th. Wow, thank you. You're welcome. Again, uh I will be adding a a disclaimer that just because we are talking about it doesn't mean we are endorsing it but we're just it's an FYI that we are talking about the token sale uh and you already mentioned that that <laughs> you don't make recommendations of what tokens people should buy or advise them no no so, yeah i just want to reiterate that <laughs> not to friends oh, especially because i'm often working on a lot of these projects so i'm i'm also. careful yeah exactly and and just because we are working on a project doesn't necessarily mean that we know we can predict the success of the same in future not in the slightest and to yeah. the contrary which is why i'm really careful about not uh suggesting anything other than i'm working on this project i think it's really great their token sale is the 27th or the 26th these are the the terms this is the presale um you know and this is what their their token does and what this is what their company does and and then i leave it there <laughs> and then that's it and uh, while while we, i just remembered one other leveling of the playing field which we didn't touch on but it seems to be important because i'm coming across uh, i don't know if you did I, i'm coming across a lot of very young people that seems to be that seem to be extremely knowledgeable about the intricacies of uh, blockchain Vitalik Buterin is just an obvious case in point. Yeah. I think he's 23 now. He is. Which means he was probably 19 or 20 when he released uh, Ethereum and Ether. Yep. I mean it's quite mind-boggling to so the leveling of the playing field is also along the age dimension. Would you agree? I would. I would. But in a way weren't we all I mean we were already sort of seeing this. I mean I we're not did I'm not a digital native and you know i i feel i feel i feel very old <laughs> with all of the companies that i work with you know i i don't know if it's because uh i i think there's lots of reasons why um but i definitely think exponentially you're seeing the level of the playing field with age yeah age has i'm just saying that's still not a factor it, we have seen the bill gates of the world and uh mark zuckerberg but i think that you know it's the same thing that you become I mean I don't I'm not saying anything philosophically brilliant. I think that if you you know they're 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 certainly growing up in in an age where there's definitely like a lack of boundaries where it's you know we're global. I mean this idea of centralized environments is just not the space with which they're wrapping their head around these concepts and so often it requires you to sort of wrap it, you have to sort of be like okay let me remove all of these concepts that i know let me actually imagine them very differently and since i don't you know i i'm i i am not a digital native i you know these are all different con- these are all concepts that i've had to you know have steep learning curves around and so it's definitely leveling the playing field in age but also it's it's a whole generation growing up in a very different global context technologically and otherwise in some sense you're saying the blockchain came at the perfect time because the the world has almost been preparing for this you know yeah when i think of the us i i came in here about about 30 years ago and the the us then and us now and the world then and world now are so different the people today that are growing up in a typical i don't even know if there is a typical school anymore but 
the 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 mix of races and culture and languages in any classroom is so much more diverse and people are so hyper connected through their facebooks and snapchats and so this whole comfort level across people is so high right mm-hmm. and this gen y or millennials don't seem to care too much about uh, the social divides or the no 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 yeah. they don't care about the the money part of it i mean they all look alike no matter what their economic background is so th- so these socio economic uh, divisions seem to have disappeared over the last 10 15 20 years i i absolutely agree i mean i yeah i think that if you're just looking at trends i think that there's this blurring of all of these lines that you're right it's almost like it's almost the right it's been preparing itself for kind of a, you know blockchain technology um it's almost like a perfect storm right yeah. so here the world was already leveling and then you bring in this technology that helps you you know turbocharge this leveling put it on steroids if you will yeah. so the whole process is suddenly like whoa uh, it's crowdsourcing it's decentralization and it is unbelievable you know right that's right that's totally right Wow. Any other parting thoughts, comments that would help our audiences? No, but I'm really eager to, to get you all of those resources because I see myself as sort of a resource handbook. And so I'm eager to get your audience, you know, any of the resources that we've discussed, you know, as I mentioned, um, you know, ARC Advisory, which we've just formed and we're working with a lot of really, really great projects that we're, we're excited about. And beyond that, no, I think I'm just, I'm excited that you're doing this podcast and thanks for having me on. And Jill, I, I was already excited to have you on this. I was originally thinking you would be you know an expert that i think we use the analogy of inch wide and mile deep and certainly i was expecting that and you have that but what pleasantly surprised me is you're also at the same time an inch deep and mile wide in the sense that you seem to know a lot about a lot of things or a little about a lot and a lot about the area of expertise so you're yourself a source a resource uh, if i might say so so if you could also send me i will include in this at the end of this podcast maybe they could reach out to you on twitter or some if they yeah some, happy to always 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 happy to yeah because i i think a lot of people that will listen to this will have so many follow on questions and uh, they will want to reach out to you i have no doubt about that yeah But no I, that's great happy to always happy to from crypto nights i thank you very much and you have a wonderful rest of the day jill thank you scott Thanks for listening to the Crypto Nights. Never miss an episode. Subscribe now at www.cryptonights.io.